The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. After Jesus left the synagogue, he entered the house of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was afflicted with a severe fever, and they interceded with him about her. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and waited on them. At sunset, all who had people sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on each of them and cured them. And demons also came out from many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus left and went to a deserted place. The crowds went looking for him, and when they came to him, they tried to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, To the other towns also I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The Gospel of the Lord. As we cycle now through our Gospel readings from St. Luke, we stand at the beginning of that series. And again, for those who may not be familiar, during ordinary time, we move through three different Gospels, first St. Mark, then St. Matthew, and now in the back part of the year, St. Luke. And what the church focuses on in these readings is the public ministry of Jesus. From after his baptism by St. John in the waters of the Jordan until just before the Last Supper, just before the great events of Holy Week by which we are saved. And so we stand now in St. Luke's account of the initial unfolding of that ministry of Jesus. And today's gospel reading, beautiful as it is, is something of a bridge reading. It begins with the reference to what we heard yesterday, after he left the synagogue. And yesterday we were given the incident in the synagogue at Capernaum. And tomorrow we will be on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with Simon Peter. And today, we are in Simon's house. And so this movement, this movement to the house of Simon is, is a hinge in the early part of the ministry of Jesus. Simon, whom we now celebrate as Peter, the great prince of the apostles, had a residence in Capernaum where Jesus was. And obviously, Simon and Jesus already had a relationship of some kind. And so Jesus is now in the home of one that he knows. And note how wonderful it is when we recognize that context, because right away we speak of the issue of Jesus coming into our households as well. 
the Lord visiting and spending time in the homes of those who know him. And so in entering that home, we see that the first thing on some levels that meets him is illness. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She is bedridden. Her health is in danger, and she is incapable of doing the work of the household, which had marked her days. And however, marvelously, note what doesn't happen. We don't hear St. Luke say to us, Jesus, knowing that Simon's mother-in-law was sick, went there. He's God, of course he knows. But he was pleased to show up because it was Simon's house, the house of that one who knows him. And when he entered, it is not the sick woman who called out to him and said, Jesus, save me. Jesus, heal me. Honestly, we don't even know if she was aware that Jesus was present in the first place. All we know, she is afflicted with fever and confined to her sickbed. Rather, when he entered that house, it was those others who dwelled there. Simon and his brother Andrew, the family that resided in the house, who turned to Jesus and interceded for her. Note that we have something wonderful here. Already we see those who are coming to faith in Jesus come to recognize that in him is not simply their salvation, but the salvation of others. And that they can turn to him not merely for themselves, but most especially on behalf of those others for whom they care. And so we have this early example of intercessory prayer on behalf of one who is struggling, on behalf of one who is ill. Yes, it is Jesus who cures the sick woman. Yes, it is the sick woman who needs to be healed. But note how the healing comes. The Lord visits the house, and those who receive him are not passive. They don't say to themselves, well, Jesus is here, and he knows what to do, and he'll take care of it, as if they have no responsibility for asking on behalf of that one who cannot ask herself. How quickly we forget that. You know, on the one hand, we rightly say the Lord loves us. We rightly say the Lord knows what is best. We rightly say the Lord looks after us, and that is all true, but that can be done in a complacent way, where then we assume that I don't have to do anything because Jesus has my back. And yet note what we see here. There's an importance. Jesus is pleased to receive the prayer, and why? because that is an expression of their love and their concern for the woman who is sick. Jesus comes into the home 
and the home should be a place where those who dwell therein are concerned for the well-being of one another. And if we are concerned for the well-being of one another, one of the things we do is we turn to the Lord whom we know is good and we ask on their behalf. This is a dynamic that will continue through the reading, in fact. Jesus is at the house of Simon. He enters, and those who are there, we hear, intercede for her, at which point the Lord goes to her. And notice how beautiful just that sounds. Because of their intercession, he was beside her. He stood over her. The Lord, as if he moved through their prayer to be at her bedside. And arriving at her bedside now, prayer comes to its fulfillment. It's not the prayer that heals the woman, it is Christ. But note how the Lord is pleased to move through the prayer, to arrive where the healing will take place. We miss this time and time again in the Gospels. It is not simply that Jesus walks on his own two feet, but that time and time again he is pleased in a very real way to move through and along the pathway of prayer that calls out to him, as if the prayer itself is a road, as if the prayer itself is a hallway through which he passes. Not that he can't do it some other way, but he is pleased to walk that way as well. And so he arrives at her bedside, rebukes the fever, a language by which he expresses a certain dissatisfaction with the fallenness of our sin-afflicted world. And immediately again, the fever obeys. And we heard yesterday the authority of the voice of Jesus. An authority which is not mere expertise, but an authority which makes a claim and demands a response. And we see now that not just the human heart, but those things that afflict the human heart, likewise must respond when he speaks. The fever leaves her, and it is he who lifts her out of the bed. Another beautiful detail in what happens here. She is confined to the bed, and it is not merely a matter of freeing her from the fever. It is Jesus who lifts her out and settles her back into her life. Jesus doesn't turn his back and say, okay, you're good. Get on with it. He takes her by the hand, and he himself lifts her out of the bed, as if to say, he himself put her feet on the floor. He himself turned her again to face her life, and he himself sent her back into it. It is not she who rises on her own and goes back to what she was doing before. To the eye, she does the same things but she enters those ordinary things differently now because Christ has brought her back into them. And so her serving in the home, to the eye, it might seem like the same service she has always done. 
but there's something different here. Because this is the service that flows from the healing. This is the service into which Jesus has now lifted her. This is the living of the life of the home, which is no longer exactly like the life it was before. Not because it is in any way less, but because it is in a remarkable way so much better. Because it is he who has given her that. Note how wondrous this simple accounting really is for us who believe that we know our home lives better than anyone, who believe that we know the reality of the home better than anyone, who believe that we understand where we live. And yet it is Christ who enters and changes where we live and how we live, even if to the worldly eye nothing seems all that different. But inside, and how we meet all of these realities is different because it is Christ who lifts her out of the sickbed. Note how the Lord heals that. It is not merely a matter of taking the illness away. It is not merely a matter of freeing her from her fever. That is wonderful, but it is not wonderful enough. And so it is that after he does it and she is healthy enough to get out of her bed on her own, he doesn't let her, he lifts her. So that she doesn't rush back into the way it used to be. Rather, so that he can give her the way it is now and the way it will be moving forward. Healing is one of those ideas that we Christians speak about and are fascinated by and yet understand so badly and so poorly. Because like the world around us, we often reduce it to the idea of what afflicts me is taken away. But that's only half the story. That's only ever half the story. The issue is not simply does what afflict me leave me. It is where does the life I now have go? And that is what the Lord is really interested in giving us. He's not interested in merely taking away what afflicts us. He's interested in lifting us out of what used to be and placing our feet on the way it will be moving forward. And so what do we hear? Jesus comes into the house of Simon. He does this marvelous gesture simply because they intercede for her. She begins to wait on them and to serve them with a certain relish and note. Note what is implicit in that statement. In serving those who are in the house, she's also serving Jesus, who is also in that house. This is no longer simply service of the family. It is service of Christ while serving the family. Service of Christ in the service of the family and through the service of the family. How marvelous that is. And note that connection then. She serves Christ by caring for those who have been given to her to care for. 
And again, we often make that mistake. We like to disconnect serving Jesus from serving one another. But they're not separable realities. The service of Christ, the service of the gospel, must always have a concrete effect in our relationships, especially our relationships with those with whom we live. And so now, amazingly, Simon's house very quickly becomes not merely the place where Jesus works this marvelous miracle. Simon's house becomes a center of healing for the area. And nobody living in that house was ready for that. Because what do we hear? Word gets around and everybody from the area brought their sick. Well, where did they bring them? To Jesus. And where is Jesus? Simon's house. You can almost imagine Simon's mother-in-law thinking, wow, you got me out of bed just in time. I got a lot of mouths to feed here. Um, but note how, again, the impact when one household opens itself to Christ in this way. When one household prays for its members in this way, there is a spillover effect that draws others to him. And so it is. And again, note the pattern, however. It is not the sick who find their way to Jesus. They're brought. They're brought. Time and again, we see this dynamic in, scripture, in, in sacred scripture. There are times when Jesus goes to or draws near the sick, but there are a great many times, arguably more, where the sick are brought to him. And again, note the implication here. Because if someone brings you to Jesus, it means you're not alone. And one of the really terrible consequences of serious illness, of serious bodily limitation, frankly, is the way it can cut us off from others. It cuts us off from the ordinary living rhythm of life. It cuts us off from social contact. It cuts us off from work. It cuts us off from other people very easily. And then the wounded or the sick person begins to worry on merely a burden or is just afflicted with a continual loneliness and solitude. And so note here, already the lost sheep are being found and brought to him. But it's not the lost sheep who are sinners. It's the lost sheep who are wounded, who are sick, who are afflicted. Because the sheep become lost in all kinds of ways. Sometimes our sinfulness leads to our being lost. Sometimes we're lost because we've fallen through the cracks of the world. And everyone seems to have forgotten about us. And so note what happens here. Word gets out, we asked Jesus, and he did something. And you could almost imagine somebody saying, I wonder if I could ask him too. And I know somebody. And so note what happens, the sick come in great numbers. 
And time and time again, there's this understated oddness about the Gospels. Because it seems that Jesus literally worked dozens and dozens of miracles here. But note that we only really get the details of one. And if we don't catch that, it seems like Jesus didn't do a lot, only a handful of miracles. Because time and time again, the greater number of his works is simply stated as if it's the most ordinary thing in the world. And the great number of sick was brought to him, and he laid his hands on them, and he healed them. We don't even get a count. Time and time again, Scripture reminds us that the individual miracles we read about and we receive details about are not the only ones, but they're the template for the others, the many others, the nameless others. And why? Because 2,000 years later, we're included in that. 2,000 years later, we can still bring our sick to the Lord. 2,000 years later, we can still intercede on behalf of those who, for whatever reason, cannot call out on their own. Note how marvelous this is. And the interesting thing is how it cuts against the grain of certain language about bringing people to Jesus. Where often we do that with the attitude of, and that'll change their behavior. And what this person really needs is X, Y, and Z. And that may well be true, and that's not bad. But note how different this is. She's wounded. He's wounded. It's not a matter of leading with he needs to come to faith or she needs to come to faith. It's a matter of saying he or she needs Note how different that is. And the change is a change that heals the life, that heals the person. And everything else can follow, can follow after that. What a remarkable moment. What a remarkable moment. Broken lives and wounded lives made whole here in some indeterminate quantity that all we know is large. And that vagueness, that vagueness is what opens this gospel reading out into our reality. Because it's the reality that continues, because we're in the house of Simon right now. The church that Jesus founded upon his profession of faith. And in the house of Simon, there are mother-in-laws still for whom we need to pray. Because their hearts are fevered and they're bedridden in some way. And note how wonderful it is that that same house of Simon, even right here, can be a place where the many can come with their wounded, that the Lord might touch them and the Lord might heal them. And so it is that small wonder that people want to keep Jesus right there. And note the Lord, however, who says, but I must go because there are other places who need this same abundance. 
there are other places where the wounded line the streets and I must be there. There are other places who, like you, have known affliction and need. I must go to them. And tomorrow we will hear about that going. But how marvelous it is because it reminds us as well, as available, as remarkable as this grace of the Lord is. It's also not something that we experience in its fullness every single day. Note, and the Lord withdrew from them. He withdrew from their sight. He withdrew from their hearing because he must move. And why? Because life isn't only about healing. And Christian life isn't only about healing. Because what is the healing for? Lifting the, the mother-in-law out of the bed, placing her feet on the floor, and directing her to the life that needs to be lived. Sometimes we fall into the trap of saying the only thing I can do is ask to be healed. And what this gospel reading beautifully reminds us of, sooner or later the healing has to be received. And sooner or later the healing has to be lived. So Jesus says to the people, I can't meet you only in the moment of healing. There's the moment of living. And the moment of living is going forth from the point of healing into the life that's waiting in front of you. I must go to the others to give them that chance. But the implication in what he says is not that I don't care for you and not that I don't want to be with you, but the healing has come. And so now the living begins. And so go, go and do the living. And it's the fundamental element of the mass. We come. We hear, we meet the Lord, we pray for those for whom we are concerned, and then we, afflicted and wounded as we may well be, come forward and stretch out our hands that he might touch us and we might receive him. And then what does he say after he's done so? Go. Don't simply stay here. Go, because life is to be lived. But go in the healing. Step back into life out of the healing. Let me take you by the hand and lift you up here and set your feet on what lies ahead of you out there. What a marvelous, what a marvelous reality it is that we have in this sacrament. Amen.